Australia. Quake Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Quake Cooper is the man. Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. I'm your host, Ando. With, his, with me is Mitch. Mitch, how are you? Yep, good, good. Uh, lots of rugby to talk through. Want to keep this one short and sharp, hopefully, this short week. Short and so. sharp, mate. There's one game for us to really focus on, a couple of other bits of spicy news from around the world, so why don't we jump into things? Uh, mate, first off, go through our social platforms, and then we need to cheer loud and strong for the winner of the Super Brew Yellow Cap competition. Yeah, fantastic. So on socials, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So if you do want to give us a follow on any of those platforms, just search for Pick and Drive Rugby and we should come up. Uh, we share a fair bit on, on those different platforms, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, particularly, I'd say Facebook and Twitter, we're quite vocal on and we like to interact with our fans on those platforms. So yes, do give us a a follow on those platforms and get involved, as we often say. Um, Super Brew Yellow Cap, the comp has come to a close. We do now have a winner to unveil this week, and that winner is Kier Ando. Well done. Yeah, yeah Kier Ando, well done. Or Kieran Doe, I prefer Kier Ando. Mate, well done on 108 points total. Closest was Dan Mori on 107.25 and SDC on 107.16. What a tight finish to the competition that was. Yeah, not even a point in it. Like 0.75 points. 0.75 of a point in it from uh, first and second place. So well done to Kirando, who has taken out this year, will get themselves a nice little pick and drive rugby tipping comp winning trophy and name will go on the shield, which is always exciting to add more names onto the illustrious pick and drive rugby tipping the comp illustrious. shield. How exciting. Well, uh, Kirana, make sure you get in touch with us on any of our social platforms um, or email us at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com and we'll make sure to get your address and send that out to you as soon as we possibly can. So tonight, what we're going to be doing, actually before that, there's another piece, two more pieces of news I need to say. <gasps> Firstly, we have some pretty special news in that next weekend on Sunday night, we are going to be doing another rugby Royal Rumble. So with the good folks at Gold Digger Rugby and uh, Draft Rugby as well, we're going to be combining on. Oh, Rev's going to be back for this one as well. Rev will be jumping in from Rugby Fixation and he'll be joining us too. We're going can't to basically do, can't. can't forget Rev at all. We're going to be doing a review of the Super Rugby Pacific season yep. and a discussion of the upcoming international window with maybe a few other hot topics thrown in. So make sure that you are available 7pm-ish, maybe 7, 7.30. Um, on Sunday, keep an eye out on the social platforms in advance of that and we'll let you know. And you'll be able to watch it live on Twitter, Facebook, and you can also make sure that you um, listen to it in a pod form when it comes out on the Monday morning. Now, the other piece of news we wanted to let you know is that um, we've been holding on to a very special video, Mitchell. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure if you've noticed this. We've got a very special video we do. that we, uh, I think we'll put it up on Wednesday. So the poll will go out tomorrow morning. Let's put this video up on Wednesday. Yep. 
But for those of you who've been following along, we've had a fantasy uh, draft competition going with a few people that signed up at the beginning of the Super Rugby season. And one of our good friends, Cam, was the um, unfortunate wooden spoon winner. So he, as a consequence, had to sing one of the songs that the Western Force sung after their win. And so he has done so with an amazing backdrop, an amazing set of pipes. It's been a good sport about it. And we're going to put that up for everybody to see, cheer him on and encourage him and his vocal talents on <laughs> Wednesday morning. So keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, it's, it's very fun. It's very fun. And if you are interested in joining us next year for uh, Fantasy Draft Rugby, we will be doing, we, we have plans at the moment to expand our competition yeah, we're next thinking year. about it seeing how it'll work so that's yeah. that's a 50 50 at the moment where we're thinking about we're it thinking about it so if you are interested do um keep an eye out on our socials in the next six months i, I guess uh, around <laughs> the time that super rugby kicks off next year brilliant um now let's jump on into the spicy um well into what we're doing tonight we're going to talk about the spicy news that has occurred in the last week talk obviously through the Super Rugby Pacific final which was a devastating loss to the Mighty Blues with the Crusaders going back to back a bloody again and then the Wallaroos games finished up their Pacific four rounds and then into the locker room so lots to talk through very exciting why don't we jump on into things let's go Time to talk spicy news now, and we'll start with some rugby or some grand finals that have happened over the weekend. So last weekend was the weekend of grand finals, it seems to be. We don't officially have a global calendar aligned yet, but we do have three of the biggest competitions in world rugby all having their grand grand finals over the weekend. So we'll quickly dive through the results. The United Rugby Championship had their final. uh, The Stormers took it out against the Bulls, 18 to 13. We then had the Premiership final being played on in Australia time Sunday or Monday morning, um, 15 to 12 Leicester over Saracens in that one. That was a bit of an upset there. Uh, and then this morning we had a, uh, I guess you'd call it a warm-up test. It's These ones are always in asterisks, but the Barbarians played England. Um, very, very surprising result in a lot of ways with the Barbarians coming away 52-21 victors over England there. Um, definitely not the English side that will be playing Australia in the next in the next two weeks um, for their three match series. Yeah, but yeah. definitely uh, a bit of a shake up to I think Eddie Jones's plans and some questions have come out of this game. We'll dive into the finals first before I ask your thoughts around the Barbarians game. Uh, Ando, did you get a chance to watch any of these? Any? any yeah. So um, either of them. I've, I've caught the Stormers and the Bulls um, with the extended highlights. Same with the Premiership final. I want to get and watch that full game later in the week when I've got a bit more time. Um, the interesting thing about Leicester this season is they've been top of the table and um, have just been a form team throughout the whole competition. I think Saris, we we all have that expectation from Saris because of the last few years before they went um, got relegated because of Premiership. Uh, salary cap issues and the fact they've made up so much of the England squad but Leicester were absolute fire this match their South African imports did them proud with a couple of key involvements and a couple of big tries Um, it was an absolutely incredible incredible match with the drop goal to seal it in kind of the final minute of the game so yeah I was watching I watched a little bit of it live on Sunday morning um, around midnight when it was was on stand and from what I saw, the first probably 15, 20 minutes, it looked like it was all going Saracen's way. 
Mm. And then um, was woke up the next morning and was very surprised to see that Leicester had got the victory <laughs> there. So in some yeah. ways, to someone who doesn't follow the Premiership, you always assume or think of Saracens as that kind of Crusaders-like team over in the north that has a star-studded team, lots of England representation in their uh, 15, can win most years. Um, so that's what I was saying before around them being yeah, a little bit enough. of the expected uh, winners in, in a game like this. But great to see the result go the other way as well. Looking at the England squad, um, I mean, look, you can ask a lot of questions and a lot of hard ones were asked Eddie Jones in the post-match press. So if you get a chance to watch it, do so. He, he um, has some Kelly ones thrown his way. But you look at the starting type five for England and they're going to be nowhere near the starting team. So yeah. it's Bevan Rod, Jack Walker, Will Collier, Charlie Ewells and Johnny Hill. So it's only Charlie Eels and Johnny Hill that are like somewhat well-known names within English rugby from, from an Australian perspective, that is. Um, yep. And so, I mean, they're not, they're unlikely to be in a 23 come the Australia tests. So it's pretty challenging to look at this team and go, oh yeah, they should be smashing the barbarians when realistically um, some of the back line has, has some strong players, but many of them aren't going to be the first choice. So uh, yeah, it, was definitely an experimental team who got found out against a barbarian squad that had a bunch of big moments go their way in terms of balls going to hand and excellent breakouts and stuff. But that's what you want to see from the Barbars. And it's just great for them to get another historic win. That's right. That's right. And I mean, uh, 52 points is a lot. And I think they scored three or four of their, their tries um, in the last 10 or 15 minutes. So the, the score did sort of run away a little bit at the end there, but it was, it is, it, there are some great highlights there. So if you haven't caught it, do do so. Um, it is on stand as well. So yep. for those who haven't seen it, go and uh, check that out. So this next bit of info, this next point we've got here is very controversial and came out late last week. Um, an exclusive that has been broken by Fox Sports. So take with that what you will. Uh, Rugby Australia <laughs> is telling New Zealand it will walk away from Super Rugby Pacific in a bombshell move post-2023. So at the moment, Rugby Australia has signed an agreement to continue Super Rugby Pacific for two years, 2022 and 2023. Uh, Hamish McLennan has sat down with Christy Doran and has said that he has the support of both the Rugby Australia board and all of the or representation of all of the five Super Rugby clubs, that there's no guarantee that they will just continue what they're doing currently for 2024 and onwards and continue the Super Rugby model that they are thinking and working out whether it might be better for Australian rugby to do their own domestic competition to rival the likes of the AFL and the NRL. Lots of lots of debate around this on on the socials since this news was dropped. We probably won't dive into this as much as we could. We could probably do six podcasts on just talking (laughs) about this. We do have the Rumble coming up next weekend. So uh, we do hope to talk about that there with some of the other rugby uh, podcasts out there. But uh, Ando, quickly, and we'll keep it as brief as we can, what are your initial thoughts of this? Yeah, my initial thought is I like the, uh, the willingness to look at something different. I'm not saying that we should ditch New Zealand. Um, I am simply saying that the idea of looking out for the best interests of Australian rugby is something that I'm willing to consider and I mean, obviously <laughs> we have no say, um, but willing to consider and look at the various options that, that are on the board and make a call for what works with us. Yeah. Um, I really liked the Super Rugby AU competition. I'm not sure if it's something that could be sustainable in the long term, but there were some big positives for it. So yeah, 
Look, New Zealand have pissed me off a fair bit in the last three, four years in terms of their attitude towards Australian rugby. Um, So I really don't mind the idea that maybe there could be something that could be sustainable and better for Australian rugby that doesn't include them. Yeah, definitely. And there there are models that have been floated, and I think we will unpack some of those next week. Uh, Nelson Dale from the Draft Rugby uh, podcast has put some stuff on on Twitter today that – uh, we might even share actually some of the stuff that he said was really good and, and has yeah. some good. What are you uh, saying that Nelson has well considered thoughts? What an outrageous proposal! I, I don't know if I, I'll stand by that, but I might have <laughs> said that um, Freudian slip. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, there are some talks around models and things that could work in the future that might actually rejuvenate. Well, re- is that the word? What's the, or like rejuvenate rugby in Australia? Yep. So yep. Um, I personally think that. Look, it, there's, there's arguments for both sides of staying and going that I agree with. I do think that from an Australian rugby perspective, we can't grow our game and in terms of talent and development if we don't play New Zealand at all, if we just do Super Rugby AU. Uh, we have seen on the, on the counter, though, that Super Rugby AU brought in so much more interest, so much more casual fans uh, just tuning in on Channel 9 to watch that final to watch the final series of that tournament yep. and super rugby civic this year has not sort of replicated that success. There is one big telling factor in this article. And for me, that was that New Zealand rugby is being paid $91 million Australian by broadcast past partners sky, which dwarfs the $29 million figure RA is receiving through channel nine and Stan. So there is definitely some negotiation there that can, that, you know, if New Zealand do value the partnership as much as they say that they do they probably need to start putting the the wallet where their mouth is and, and sharing that deal a little bit more lucratively to both partners considering that the, our australian teams are in the competition as much as them so a lot of water to go under that bridge and we'll be interesting to see what happens from it um but yeah we'll dive into it a little bit more next week yep cool <clears throat> one uh, another piece of information that has come out from walesonline.co.uk and I haven't actually seen this broken anywhere else but I don't say that it's not um, legitimate from this because Wales Online do have a lot of relevant and, and breaking rugby news but there's some... <laughs> they're also a bit of like a tabloid website as well so it's interesting that they do have legitimate stuff like this as well doesn't get um, published, it, published in many other places well, it's Wales, so like they actually love rugby up there, um, like New Zealand, I guess. But what this article is about is the TMO law changes that have been announced that will be immediately put in place from the 1st of July this year, which will then uh, be seen throughout the international fixtures for July and then throughout the rest of the year. So reading through the article, the biggest, and I've just lost the points no, I've got it. I've got it here. You have them up. Um, so, like the, the the biggest change which we might see come into effect is the idea that the TMO can adopt on the run decision making, where the TMO provides the um, the the information and the decision to the referee without having to stop play, and so that can apply for scoring incidents, uh, dangerous play, knock on or throw forward all in touch in goal decisions, um, that kind of thing. So the, the TMO is able to do some of these things on the fly before being initially referenced by the ref, um, re- referred to by the referee. And so that is hopefully trying to speed up the game. Yep. The next point that says, in addition, 
in the event a try is scored, should the footage relating to an infringement only be made available by the broadcaster after the conversion has taken place, but before the restart, then the referee and their TMO may highlight the infringement and deal with it accordingly. So currently what we have often spoken about and seen is that the host broadcast will not show a clear infringement in the replay or provide that footage to the TMO. Um, and if the, the try is awarded and the team kicks the conversion, currently under the current rules before July 1st, you can't go back and review it. But what they're saying is now before you can take the kick, but before uh, play restarts, the TMO can then get involved and say, actually, I've just seen another angle that wasn't made available before. Yeah. Uh, and the foot is clearly in touch or the ball was knocked on or there's indiscretion leading up to it. So um, I like that one. That's something that we've been talking about for a while about how do we get around that broadcast host nation uh, debate. There was a lot of that around the British and Irish Lions series in South Africa and talk around not certain angles not being made available and that sort of thing. So hopefully we do see that these things happening um, in the game do speed things up and we, we get to the right decisions made at a faster pace for the fans. Yep. Yep. Any thoughts? Uh, any other no, thoughts? No, I'm happy with that. I'm happy for us to also move on because we've got some pretty exciting stuff about the Australia A team. All right. So the Australia A squad has been announced. And like we mentioned last week when going through the Wallaby squad for 2022, we did say that there was a few players that weren't listed in that squad that we expected to be listed in Australia A and we can confirm now that they were uh, announced. So how do we want to do this? Do we want to read through all of the players and then highlight certain people no, that missed out or think, big inclusions? Or I think the people have uh, can just basically search up Australia A squad and it'll come up on the list. I think what we'll do is uh, you get to name three players that you're really excited to see play um, mm -hmm. and consider one player that was unlucky to have missed out okay. or was a big omission. So um, what I might start with an omission just to give you time to think because I've just dropped that on you. Thank you. So the Thank big you. omission for me is Jordan Ulysses. So the fact that he isn't present, despite the fact that he just signed a new deal, is, is really interesting. Um, he used to be the next big up-and-coming uh, hooker within Australian rugby, but his stocks have fallen as he's had some fairly consistent uh, injury layoffs throughout the last two or three years. And his performances within the... Super Rugby Pacific competition this season was somewhat haphazard. So I think that was just an interesting omission considering the news that he'd re-signed for an additional year to 2023, um, end of 2023, was um, was fresh when the squad got announced. Yep, yep, definitely. Uh, I think we do have to take into account his uh, poor form of injuries that have happened this year and he hasn't been able to put a, a lot of uh, body of work, as Morg says, uh, together to really prove his case to the selectors. So I think over the next 12 months, hopefully he can really get his body right and start to put some big minutes out on the Moving now to the final match of the Pacific Four series for the Wallaroos. They came up against a strong Canada team and lost 10 to 22 on Saturday at 11.30 a.m. And so this was their final hit out before, um, I'm pretty sure before the, they got a couple of warm-up games prior to the World Cup in October, uh, I believe. I'll double check that one as we're going. But either way, it was the third and final match within this series. Um, unfortunately, the third defeat out of three but we had that prediction going into the match mitch you saw um you saw this game what were some of the takeaways that you had about the warriors performance 
Uh, it seems to be the the theme of this tournament, unfortunately, for the Wallaroos, that they can come out really spirited at the beginning of the games and set it themselves a really handy lead. But they end up falling away in the second half, and that's what we saw in this game uh, again, like last week, that they, they scored a try early and, and got uh, got to 10 points. It was 10-0 for a long time. And then in the second half, a few changes came on for Canada and the scrum dominance really shifted and Canada all of a sudden started to get the ascendancy there. And from that point on, the Wallaroos just went backwards and weren't able to really calm themselves down and get back into the game and um, and let Canada back in with, and they scored 22 unanswered points, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's one of the key things that I think that we saw across all three of the games was um, the challenge of the lack of match practice and conditioning that the Wallaroos had had the opportunity to get in a build-up to this game where they, in many cases, finished the kind of weaker of the opposite, of the teams and they just weren't able to close out the matches. Like in this game, they um, started off incredibly strong, came out to an early lead with a couple of great tries um, and penalty with Laurie Kramer as well. And then they just weren't able to hold on within the second half and the Canadians just came back time and time again, too many infringements committed and it's just... Con- a big part of it is that match fitness and conditioning opportunity that the girls just haven't had the chance to develop. That's right. And there was some, this game was an opportunity for the Walrus to test some combinations. And we did see that by them shifting um, Pilane, uh, where's her name? Uh, Pile Rasabale, Pauline uh, Pile Rasabale. I, I said her first name wrong. Apologies. Um, but yeah, they shifted her to fullback. She's been playing most of this series in the centers. So shifting her there um, and then bringing on Arabella McKenzie at 10, which I think was something we were talking about last week was mm-hmm. a change that I would have liked to have seen. And I think she did give the Wallaroos some good front football and was giving them more of a, a, a base to, to play off. Uh, but unfortunately, the second half when those changes did come on, the the sort of the tires started to fall off a bit. The discipline went out the window. They were giving away silly penalties. Um, they were losing their own ball on their own set piece. So it, the experience at that level started to sort of fall away for them. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So look, the, the team's going to be better for this. Um, There are two more matches, both against New Zealand in August, in, in late August. I believe they the play the South African women as well before before the Wallabies and, and Springboks test in Adelaide. Oh, okay. Well, that's not on the I think um, that's, Rugby Australia website. Is it the Wallaroos, the Wallaroos or is website. it the Sevens? It must be the Wallaroos, I'm fairly sure. It's, it's, not on the, it's not on the um, website. So maybe it just maybe hasn't been updated yet or maybe it's Sevens. Or maybe you're just making it up, mate. But either way, um, it's Sounds been good. a great opportunity if for... If it's not a thing, we should do it. <laughs> it's been a great opportunity for the girls to get more experience and they're going to be better for it. So hopefully with um, more opportunities for Wallaroos training camps and more opportunities for game time prior to the World Cup, then they're going to be able to put in a strong performance. But realistically, I think, um, you know what, I'll hold this thought off for another time when we go more into depth with Wallaroos. I've got some thoughts, I've got some ideas, but we'll hold that off for now. Any final comments you want to make on this game before we move uh, on? Mate? Just looking up the what I just said before, I think I might have been incorrect. I think they're playing the uh, Wall- the Wallaroos are playing New Zealand uh, before. So they I are said. playing, but they're, <laughs> but they're not playing South Africa. They're playing... Ah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah they're playing the Wallaroos. Bef- uh, they're playing New Zealand before the Wallabies play South Africa. Fantastic. That's um, great. Yeah. Uh, just back to the game, back to this whole series. Um, 
the, there's a lot of learnings to take out of it for the Wallaroos out of these these three games in the Pacific Four series and just game time together for these girls is exactly what they need. It's not yeah. the results that we would have liked coming out of it. And when you look at the scores, it doesn't look like an overall great competition. But uh, when you look at the actual games themselves, like the Wallaroos were in that first test against New Zealand right up until the 50th minute or 60th even um, when they sort of fell away there and uh, the New Zealand team then scored some tries late that really pushed that score out. Again, this was another game that was like that. So there is a lot to like. There is a lot to work on. Uh, we just hope now that there's enough time for the girls to stick together as a unit and as an, an, um, a team to really make those changes before they get to New Zealand later in the year for the World Cup. Yep. Yep, definitely. Well, well done to the Wallaroos. Well done to everybody. Congratulations to every player that got their first cap. Um, absolutely wonderful experience for you all and can't wait to be cheering you on come August. So why don't we head now to the final of the Super Rugby Pacific competition. Let's go. Let's dive into the final game of Super Rugby Pacific for 2022. And that was the grand final hosted by the Auckland Blues against the Canterbury Crusaders. The Crusaders did come away victors in this game, 20-7. to 7. Now, Ando, what, what were your initial thoughts from this game? Did you get to watch all of it in extreme detail? Love the amount of New Zealand emphasis that was put onto this game? <laughs> so uh unfortunately i didn't get to watch this match live we had a um cracker of a um primary school event night on and since there was an australian team playing i wasn't too fussed about not seeing it live but i have since then watched it back in minute detail and this was an incredibly clinical performance by the Crusaders. As much as I had wanted the Blues to win and had tipped with my heart and gone for Blues by five, um, there was a reason why uh, earlier in the season I put a bit of money on the Crusaders to win. Um, <laughs> I was just pretty pretty confident that they'd actually get it done at the tail end of the season, and they did. So there's, there's a fair bit to unpack within this match, but the Crusaders were undoubtedly deserving of the win, and the Blues were barely able to fire a shot. And I will say I have gypped the Crusaders a point, so the final score was 21-7, to not 20 to seven, so I do apologize <laughs> all those Crusaders fans out there, all five of you. I'm sorry that I did uh, take a point off you. Uh, this, I guess, the first point that comes out of this game and the biggest takeaway is that the Crusaders played finals football and it didn't feel like the Blues ever really got a groove into this game. The Crusaders just dominated most elements of this game, the set piece, the line out particularly, uh, just the general play the amount of ball in time hand and the blues just never really looked like they had an opportunity to get close and score points against this Crusaders team. Yeah, completely agree. And a great example of that comes from the basic statistic of nine of 19 blues lineouts were won. So they only won 47% of their own ball from lineouts, which is just absolutely crazy. Uh, watching this match back again, uh, the first 20 minutes, the blues have been absolutely under the pump. They've lost two or three lineouts within that first 20 minutes. Keep turning over the ball. They're basically pinned back in their own half. Then in the 21st minute, there's an awesome break and then a grubber through by Barrett. And blues, the Blues then lose the line out 
White Walk steals it. And then he disrupts the next line out again to steal it, like the second time in a row. And so you've gone from the Blues defending for 20 entire minutes, the one attacking opportunity they get on the um, on the Crusaders line. And White Lock's so confident that he's got the read on the Blues line out that he's willing to jump up and disrupt and actually gets the steal on his own line, essentially. It just showed the confidence that the Crusaders had with what homework they'd done about the line out and the Blues just could not secure their own ball. Even in and that the possession exact, stats were Even horrible. in that element that you're talking about there, that 21st minute uh, line out, it kind of sums up the Blues' whole game, really. That mm. they, I don't know really whether the issue was the calls or the jumper, but they made a call and when you go back and watch it, the jumpers shifted places and then yep. went up really late when the ball was already in. And Whitelock just nearly went up un- uncontested in that line out to steal yep. it. So by yep. the time the Blues actually got the call and got their jumper in the air after doing a tricky sort of fade mood move, they Whitelock was already had his hands on the ball. So um, just another example of the Blues just a little bit off their game in the elements when it counts and in the, in the time when... Yeah. They yep. really can't afford to be at a packed out Eden Park. It was it was really weird in that there, there were points where I wasn't sure whether it was um, Kurt Eklund, the hooker that was doing poor throws or getting his timing wrong, or whether it was the forwards just being completely flustered and pressured and just mucking up their timings, mucking up their list. But there was yeah. somewhere the Blues didn't almost didn't get a player up in the air on their own line out throw. Yeah. which is just is genuinely embarrassing for them. And look, when you when your lineout's not functioning, it's just continuously turning over the ball. And any time you give the Crusaders an off ball, they're going to eventually make you pay. And I think the Blues would have been fairly happy with their going into the halftime with the scores as they were. Um, one one little point. So Bryn Hall gets a try like with the 40th minute right before they go into the sheds. I'm just quietly going to say that shouldn't have been a try. And not for anything that Bryn Hall did, like whatever, the, the try itself was fine. But in the lead up to it, Hoskins Satutu, the Blues number eight, cops a direct shoulder to the face at a clean out in a ruck, um, maybe five, six rucks before beforehand and it was um who was it it was cullen grace i think the crusaders eight that was coming in and it's just shoulder to face without a shadow of a doubt and it just nobody nobody saw it nobody looked at it at the time and nothing has come out afterwards and i i just don't understand how they didn't get looked at so check it out it's about the 90 39th minute 39th minute of the game there was a few listeners. calls in this game that like at, in their own in in this game were fine but in the context of super rugby pacific you probably would have expected a card. Mm. The the two mm. incidents that did get the Timo did get involved would have been Reds um, earlier on in the season, and this game they just gave them as penalties. So, <clears throat> not even that. Not even that. The the two ones you're talking about, um, where the Timo intervenes and is like, oh, we need to check this high contact. Even the first oh, that's half, right. they did. Yeah, both they of them. There's not they? even a penalty. Not even a penalty. And I actually agree with both of the reasoning provided on both of them. Um, I, I had no issue with it as standalone incidents, but in the context of the attempt to remove head high contact and the um, willingness that they the refs have had to show the cheese throughout yeah. the season, I just thought, wow, that's it. Seems like it seemed seemed like a shift. 
Yeah, it did seem like there was a bit of a directive that said, like, let's just focus on this game. Let's not give out unnecessary cards. Unless it's something clear and obvious, let's just uh, keep it in a pocket, boys. And that's yeah, what yeah. we really got. And it, overall, it was a cracking game. Now, it one was. thing that's been taunted from this game is it was the battle of the All Blacks 10 position. We had Richie Mowanga against Bowden Barrett. Uh, if you were... I guess it's it, it sits down with um, Ian Foster as the final call. But if you were on the New Zealand selection panel right now, which way, after watching this game, which way would you be going with that 10 jersey up against without, Ireland in a few weeks? Without a shadow of a doubt, Richie Mwanga. And then you put Will Jordan at 15 and you keep that combination going. Like, that, in my mind, there's absolutely no maybe. Will Jordan is the best 15 in the entire New Zealand competition, hands down. And then Richie Mwanga... I think has had a better season than Modern Barrett. And when you add in that extra element of connection with a 15, with such an attacking weapon um, as Will Jordan, you go Richie Mwanga every day of the week. Yep, definitely. That's that's my sentiments too. I mean, it's great to have a player of Bowden Barrett's potential come off the bench for them, yeah, for the All yep. Blacks. And he's such a versatile player that he can play 15 or 10 at a pinch. He could come on in either of those positions, whatever's needed. Uh, but at the moment, like Richie Mwanga just seems to be far and uh, above what uh, Bowden Barrett did, particularly in this game. But yeah, at the same time, you've got to take it into consideration that the uh, the Crusaders were getting absolute pristine set-piece ball where the Blues were mm-hmm. going backwards and, and had no momentum or no um, dominance at all at the set-piece. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we've seen, th- yeah, we've seen how that can sort of shift the performance of a 10. Yeah, definitely. Um, there were a couple of comments that um, I was chatting with Rev before the game that he wanted to make is that um, one, of, one of the points was that the Blues, p- p- people were talking about some of the Blues props being poor against the younger Crusaders um, bench props when they came on, like Tamati Williams and um, other players who I've forgotten the name of in this moment. Um, but one point that he made was the Crusaders really exploited uh, Goodhue, who hasn't played a massive amount this season, as well as Tom Robinson, who is in an out-and-out lock. He's one of those hybrid locks back rowers. And I thought that was a really good point in that the lineout was functioning really poorly with Goodhue as the caller um, and having Satutu, Robinson and Goodhue as the jumpers, it wasn't particularly effective. Um, whereas the Crusaders, who did they have a lock? They've got but um, Barrett and Whitelock, like two of the most experienced New Zealand locks in the entire competition. And so the scrum and the lineout just function so well and it shows the the value of an experienced locking combination. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I agree with what Rev was saying there. Um, I don't have too many other points from this game. Was there anything else you wanted to chat through? Oh, um... uh, look, I think... One quick point I'll just I'll just say is um, the Crusaders' tactical kicking game was next level, and you, you saw it at different points throughout the match. I mean, you can look at Pablo Matera's kick through for the final try to Sever Reese, but uh, yeah, that see was that again. No, we won't. He's gone. Um, no, but, but I that mean, was... do you, does Michael Checker let him do those little grubbers for Argentina later in the year? I think so. I think so. Um, it's Argentinian flair, my friend. But anyway. Um, one of the one of the areas that was really impressive for the Crusaders is like David Havili's 50-22, Moanga's uh, kicking for the line, the contestable kicks that they did, um, the amount of times in which they would be going for the up and under and rather than and, and be timing it or kicking it to perfection so that they're able to get up and compete for the ball. And even if like, I don't know, Will Jordan's going up for it and he knocks the ball forward, 
What's the worst thing that happens? It's a scrum. And the Crusaders were doing well in a scrums as well. So it's not as though it was a stable set piece um, or stable platform for the Blues to be attacking off as well. So it, there were just these elements of the kicking game that the Crusaders were able to exploit or um, put into play that didn't allow the Blues wide running threats to be able to get any space or time on the ball. Uh, Tuivasa Shek was pretty quiet. You barely saw anything. Enrico Ioani, AJ Lamb and Mark Talea were pretty absent throughout the game. Perifetta had a few good involvements, but overall it was basically Crusaders traffic one way the entire game. Yeah, it really was. And in some ways I've, I've heard a lot and I've read a lot from fans in from Auckland and, and Blues fans in New Zealand who were disappointed with this performance. But at, at the end of the day, the Crusaders know how to get to a final and they know how to win the competition and they've done it so many times. I think this was their 14th year of winning Super Rugby and their sixth consecutive title. If you take out, I mean, technically last year they won um, Aotearoa but didn't win Trans-Tasman, but take that little asterisk away, it's their sixth in a row. And that's just absolutely incredible for a team in any competition in, in, in the world to have such dominance um, and not only that they've won it six times in a row, won it 14 times, but how many times have they then been in the final and lost it? Yep. Just crazy. Yep. This is like absolute yep. scenes. And I don't think we can talk <laughs> about uh, the final of Super Rugby with the Crusaders and not talk about Razor Robinson's dance moves. Yeah, look, it's just getting a bit embarrassing now because like when it first happened, it was a bit... Um... It was a bit unexpected. You kind of forgive it. It's like, oh, wow, cool. I didn't know that like, he could do a couple of moves. But then wow, it's, just the got, <laughs> it's just got a bit weirder each year and a bit more awkward. It's like, cool, yeah. I feel like he needs to actually take a few classes and expand his repertoire. It kind of feels season, like, please. I think if you're in that circle, if you're within your Crusaders fan or you're within that inner sanctum of the Crusaders uh, team, it's very cool and it's a very him thing to do but for anyone outside of that it looks a little bit geekish and it looks a bit like well are you doing this to like are you doing this for yourself or are you doing this for the team like it where's the motivation there it, it's yeah. not a great look from the outside it, you're not a particularly great break dancer in a lot of regards so um do we see it next year who knows <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Do we <laughs> see Darren Coleman breaking out the moves? If Darren Coleman did it, I think we'd all say that he he's probably he's entitled to do it. Oh, for the first couple of years, but for the five after that, it's starting a bit old, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this up. We've got some questions coming in from the locker room, so let's uh, yeah, let's cool. dive into that. All right, let's just go through it. I'll start off with Simon, GLA Sports. Uh, what message should it give having RTS, um, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, coming off at 44 minutes? Um, do you mind if I answer this one, mate? Yeah, go for it. Cool. Basically, I don't think it's a um, major issue there. Um, he'd had a bit of a head knock earlier. He wasn't getting particularly found out defensively, although he did drop a couple of balls in attack. I just think he came up against a really challenging Crusaders defence and... Really, RTS wasn't the problem in any way, shape, or form in my mind. I think the problem the Blues had was the line-out and the lack of front-foot opportunity they were able to get for their backs. Yeah, so I think that was the cause. Yeah, I think bringing him off, they were just trying to inject some new energy into the field and see yeah. if that might have changed something. Because even when they did have their hands on the pill, they were dropping it. And the Crusaders were doing so well in rush defense and getting up in their faces and putting on such big hits that they never looked comfortable with the ball and they turned it over easily so many times. 
And when you're replacing him with a quality player like Bryce Heem, it's not as though it's a um, particularly big slight or yeah. anything. Yeah, exactly. um, it's, it's a very good player for a very good player. So it's, it's all good. I wouldn't read too much into that one. Um, and that ties into a question that Hugh Tyndall said as well. Uh, another, another point from Hugh, though, is, is Scott Barrett now better than Bowden Barrett? Answer that one, Mitch. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I guess it depends on if you're a forward or a back, personally. I think the things that Scott Barrett does as a second row is just most of the time goes unseen. And Bowden Except Barrett, when he's getting cards against Australian teams. That's right, unless he's doing something like giving away a red card, which then loses you a Bledisloe Cup test. But uh, Bowden Barrett then gets to dr- score the drop goal after the siren to win the game uh, in, in Canberra. So, you know, uh, whatever Bodie does is always going to look great. Whatever Scott does, most of the time probably doesn't look all that glamorous. But... When you boil it down, I think the impact that both of those players have on their team, their respective teams, are, are probably equal. Bowden Barrett is such a great player at 10 and drives his team around so well, but the Crusaders without Scott Barrett there in the second row don't perform nearly as well as they did this weekend. Ed Logue asks, how was Colin Grace overlooked for Akira Ioane? I'm assuming it means in the Kiwis in the All Black squad. Um, I think that the one is going to come down to the explosive power that Akira Ioane can offer as opposed to Colin Grace's slightly more... Um, he's kind of got the engine. He's a, worker. he's a work rate player as opposed to the explosive impact player that Akira Ioane is. So I don't think Akira would probably be starting. He might be a bench player potentially to have that... Um, impact coming off the bench maybe um, but if Colin Grace isn't going to start I don't think you have him on the bench so that's probably why he hasn't been picked uh, do you want to go through your brother's comment here yeah so he asks if Australia leave New Zealand super rugby like we spoke about in 2023 could or should they make a competition like the NRL's New South Wales Cup for the super rugby team play to play in before uh, the super rugby level so basically a step down which is either a a juniors competition or a development side competition that plays basically like curtain raises before uh, the Super Rugby game. Should we see something like that that's a, 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 an equivalent of the NRC? Yeah, I think so. I think we've always been talking about the need for further pathways and opportunities. Um, the point about the NRC, though, is it's often meant to be that... Um, Actually, no, no, no. Uh, the point I was going to make was wrong. I think that that would be a good opportunity if we did go down. You basically just need that next year. Yeah. So if you're going to have Super Rugby um, or Super Rugby AU and then maybe you move into some type of like championship model against maybe Kiwi and Japanese teams or something like that, well, you need another you need another level down from Super Rugby to be providing players with more opportunities uh, to be in a professional environment, earn some money, get more experience, et cetera, et cetera. And yep. so if that's the equivalent of an NRL New South Wales Cup, yeah, fine. That's cool. Call it what you want, but as long as it, there's more opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And I think at the end of the day, that's what we've all been crying out for, for as Australian rugby fans. We need more game time for the te- for the players that aren't making that 23 on a Saturday. Um, even the players that are making a 23, they need some kind of longevity outside of Super Rugby at the moment because 16 rounds is just not cutting it. Uh, yep. There was a stat that I saw this week floating around on Twitter that someone mentioned that from today there's eight or from last weekend, there was eight months until super rugby kicked off again. And what are the Australian rugby players doing that aren't in Australia a or in the Wallabies? They're playing shoot shield or the equivalent for the next two months. And then they're training. Yeah. Like that's just not good enough at this level. We're not going to be able to beat New Zealand if we don't have some form of consistent game time for these players. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Next one comes in from Hugh 96. It's not a question. Just give a shout out on the pod to the Aussie men's and women's or Aussie sevens men and women who are playing in New Zealand this Friday, Saturday, Sunday versus New Zealand, Fiji, Papua New Guinea and Tonga. That's the Oceania sevens competition. Go back and listen to our pod with John Menenti from last week. It was if I may say so myself, a brilliant conversation, really enjoyed the conversation that he had, particularly in terms of the connection between Sevens and Super Rugby and the reciprocal relationship that they're trying to forge and develop there. Um, We do have some more information will be coming about the broadcasting information soon. News should be positive, Hugh. Um, We're just waiting on some final confirmation on things. Uh, before that goes, so are you flying out. over there with your own handy cam and you're just going to yeah, mate. It on, on Facebook? Yeah, Live? I'll just use my phone, like go yeah. Insta Live or Facebook Live or something. It'll be brilliant. Good. And then I'll call it. <laughs> I'll, I'll stay at home and call it from yours. Pixelated. That'll be great, mate. That'll yeah, be it'll great. Be, it'll be pick and drive the like prime product that we are. Supreme. Questions coming in from Piasi, who says Crusaders borrowed some of the Brumbies' ruck tactics. Would a different referee call a different game out there? Goodhue should have been carded. Let's just start off with that one really quickly. Should Jack Goodhue have been carded? Um, I think I sort of briefly mentioned it before that I, I think there was a directive from New Zealand Rugby, and I will say New Zealand Rugby, not Sansa, that <laughs> let's keep let's not ruin this game. Let's keep it a spectacle and let's make this as exciting as it can be. So let's not give out unnecessary cards. And so I yeah. think that's why we didn't see these instances carded. And would had that had that same incident happened against the Brumbies four weeks ago, I think he does get a card. But in this I instance, so. I, I don't think he does. And and uh, in some regards, that's fine in its own insular way because New Zealand rugby needs to do what New Zealand rugby needs to do to have a great final. Um, but in the in the quest to stamp out unnecessary head contact and high high shots and all this sort of stuff, we need to be consistent across the board and we probably yeah, sure. should yep. be doing that. Yeah, look, I, I don't mind the reasoning that was provided on the field as to why it wasn't a penalty or a card um, in and of itself. But like we said before, you just want that um, competition-wide mm. consistency yeah. that's provided. Uh, an interesting point was um, the Crusaders and the Ruck tactics. I thought that they were off their feet like every second or third ruck. It was a bit of the Wild West out there at ruck time. Um, and it a does seem to be an area that the referees that. have not officiated mm. as intently mm. in the last few weeks. And yep. it's always like there's when a new season kicks off, there's always a few things that referees go hard on. And I remember at the beginning of this season, it was the offside line. This last two years, for the first two or three rounds, it was very much uh, going hard on the offside line. And if a player was offside, they'd ping you straight away. And that sort of fell away. They were very intent at the ruck and rolling away in the right directions and not loitering around the ruck and slowing the ball down. Uh, That also fell away in the last few weeks. And as we've just said, we've seen in this final that the the Crusaders were doing everything they could to get away with everything they could at the breakdown. Yep, yep, 100%. Well, final question we're heading to is Abel Willing and Zed. If you could guarantee a lock-in one win for the Wallabies this year out of the 2022 schedule, what match would it be? Um, for me, I'd be looking in the second Bledisloe Cup test that's being played in New Zealand. So the yep. first one's being played in Australia at Melbourne, and the second test is being played in New Zealand. I remember, I don't, I think it's Eden Park, but I'm not. It too is sure Eden Park. Yeah. Yep. 
Dang. Uh, but yeah, I'd be locking that one in because it means if we win in England, uh, in Melbourne, then we win the Bledisloe back in Eden Park and that would be yep. fantastic. That would be massive. Yeah, completely agree. For me, it's that Eden Park game. But since you've taken that, I'm going to say the um, Sydney Cricket Ground against England because I'm hoping the that we'll have one. won one of the previous... Yeah, the third one. I'm hoping that we'll have won one or two of the previous games before that. Preferably most likely one um and so that would be the clincher the decider and as much as like i'm kind of resigned to losing to new zealand at this point in time like i'm not okay with it but it's just a familiar wound you know mm-hmm. whereas i just hate england and so any opportunity to beat them in a series would just be the absolute best i've got to put it out there i don't have this uh england is the the old enemy mantra that so many people seem to have i don't know i don't know why i don't have it but I don't mind losing to England that much. I think the last six years where we haven't beaten them has been tough, but I don't I don't come into an England test with the same scars that I do in a New Zealand test. And whether that is because it has been more than six years in the New Zealand um, in the New Zealand factor, or whether it's just because I just so badly want to beat New Zealand and win the Bledisloe back more than anything else in this world, um, I would take that. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think what we need to do is we need to finish the pod there, mate. But um, there is one final thing I'll say as we wrap up. For those of you who haven't had the chance to um, maybe get onto social media or check out the um, Barbarians match against England, please go and watch the conversion that George Cruis takes for the Barbars. He backheels a conversion to score in his final game of international rugby. So uh, please, please get out, watch that. It is great fun. <laughs> um, Actually, before we sure. finish, I've got one last question for you. Now that yep. the locker room on the Barbarians game, Oh yeah, Will Skelton, red card, first in the Barbarians history of 123 years, did a player get sent off? It is Will Skelton. Do you think, and there's a lot of talk on social media around Will Skelton being the best lock in Europe at the moment, do you think that he makes the Wallabies next year? Would you be changing the rules if need be to get Will Skelton in the Wallabies? Yeah, probably because he offers a point of difference that might be useful for some of the teams that we've come up against. Um, but only because of that, I don't think he's inherently like better at the style of play that we're going to be having. It's going to be a lot more fast paced than what he's used to in French rugby. Um, so it's just a bit different. And there will be no 20-minute red cards at the World Cup. Remember that. Exactly. That's a very good point. Yep. <laughs> well, mate, okay. it's been fun. Thanks for the pod. Thank you. Uh, and well done again to Kirando for taking out to the tipping comp Absolute this year. legend. We will be doing another one for the international season coming up. We're not sure just yet if we'll do the England series or we'll just wait till the rugby champs. But uh, do keep an eye out. We'll hopefully have something next week for you to announce that. Uh, we'll do some chatting in the meantime and, and decide what we want to do. But do keep an eye out for socials where we do announce that information. Thanks, everyone, for getting to this point of the pod, and we'll catch you next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.